Okay, well, hey, thank you for coming tonight. We are in uh, Haggai chapter 1. We're beginning uh, Haggai. Uh, we began Ezra, and we got up through Ezra chapter 1. And then as we began chapter 2, it sprung into uh, 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 some other events, some conflicts. And they went on hold. They stopped working on them. They all came back. Zerubbabel's back. This is Joshua's back. It says it called Joshua in uh, in uh, in Ezra. And they laid the foundation, built the altar, laid the foundation. But opposition arose. And it's, again, you got to take it serious. It wasn't just like people were like making fun of them or something. But they they brought l- lawsuits that they would transfer, the, we'd just say generally the Samaritans, but the people that had occupied Jerusalem in the absence of the exiles who had returned, they began to file lawsuits, they began to bribe the, uh, the transportation or the shipping industry, uh, they began to harass people, both physical and uh, verbal threats. And so the people in 1537, uh, when they came back, uh, they quit. They just, it was too hard. And clearly it was, in their mind, it was too difficult. And, and they quit. Quit working on it. But they continued to live in the land. The thing is, this is a Cyrus decree. He, he made the decree. He provided the paperwork. He provided the finances. He provided the leadership. You've got, you've got political leadership under uh, Zerubbabel. You've got religious leadership under Joshua and these guys were there in 539 and they're going to be there tonight in 520 so we're pushing you know some 18 19 years that Zerubbabel and Joshua have been the leaders Uh, Cyrus has lived his life and has died in 530 Cambyses his son took over conquered Egypt had a great march out there and then disappears around Mount Carmel somewhere no one knows exactly what happened to him in 522 they have a period of chaos in the Persian Empire uh, and in 521 Darius takes over and was one of the great kings of the Persian Empire he began to reestablish things and in 520 he's in full charge and he is the emperor at this time so Cyrus has come and gone so during that time of all the activity of Cyrus's activity he got killed in war Cambyses who went to war uh, the people of, of Judah, a small, small province, have kind of, kind of got lost along the way. No one's really overseeing them, although they've got a decree from Cyrus. No one's really overseeing them. It comes down to your political leaders, your Zerubbabel and your religious leader, Joshua, and the people, but they're under opposition, and the opposition is using the legal system, the transportation, the shipping, the economic to bring as much oppression. And the people have come to the conclusion, and this is going to be a key word tonight. The Hebrew word is et. It means time. And we'll talk about here in just a little bit that the time has not come for them to build. And again, the name word is bet, the house of the Lord. And, and both these words are going to be important. We'll look at them later. But they've concluded it, it's not time. And there's a lot, lot in this chapter that I'm not going to be able to draw out for application purpose because I think it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper as far as application in our own personal lives, in our government's lives, in our you know, religious church lives. Uh, they have come up with an idea that because of all this opposition, it isn't time yet to do this. They've done as much as they can. And, and you can just hear yourself, I can hear myself, I've done as much as I can. I, 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 there's nothing more to do. I just, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just going to trust God, wait on God. But meanwhile, since I've got this extra time, I'll get occupied with something and I'll get busy. And now you start building something of your own and that's where they're at. And it's been 16 some years, you know, 16, 17 years. And what's going to happen is Haggai, the prophet, is going to begin to speak. Haggai's name is mentioned in Ezra so he is a, a prophet. He's known as Zerubbabel and Joshua are known. Haggai is known. We don't know much about him. We don't know his ancestry. We don't know if he's in the priesthood. We don't know much about him. But we do know he's there. And he's got about a... This whole, whole book is about three and a half months long. I'll, I'll give you the dates here in a moment. 
about three and a half months long, and it comes alongside of Zechariah, which we're going to do next, and it changes the trajectory of the people. Uh, again, these exiles are not losers because they have come back from exile. If, if you want to call someone a loser or spiritually apathetic, they would have stayed in Babylon. That's where they were born. They know the language. They may have businesses. Life is comfortable there. These people that have come back were stirred by the Spirit of the Lord, which probably means they had been in the Word the entire time. So when things began to happen, they followed the direction of the Lord. So they're, they're good people, but they've faced opposition and they've got sidelined. And here we go. Uh, I'm going to read in the NIV first. And I'll read verses 1 through 11. And, and then we'll come back and, and break some things down. All right, here we go. Chapter 1, verse, chapter 11, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. That's the introduction. That's the, the superscript. We'll talk about that. Now begins the message from the Lord. Again, I don't want to say this is what Haggai said. This is what Haggai wrote, but he's writing what God told him. So this is the Lord speaking. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. We'll talk about that. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. You can already see three parts. Verse 2, verse 3, and now verses 5 through 11. You hear what the people say. You hear the Lord's rebuttal. And now you've got the Lord's evidence that he's right and they're wrong. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Verse 5, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. It's called inflation. Verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring down the timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but, it, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. And again, right there, we'll talk about it. The word house in both those cases, the word bet. It does, he doesn't call it temple or shrine. He says, my bet is in a ruin, but yet your bet, ah, it's paneled. Now, they say it's not time. It's not time to what? Well, we don't have time to get this house in, but you've got all this extra time. You found time to invest it in your house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on the men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. So this comes down to basically a dispute. It's a dispute uh, argument that God is presenting to them. And uh, we're going to go through this. On chapter 1, verse 1, on your notes, there's the english standard version and uh in this again i'm going to spend some time on this subscript this introduction uh first you see it gives you the date the time in the second year of darius darius the king in the sixth month on the first day of the month and if you look down there on the notes the superscription or introduction does these things the second year of darius the king is 520 and again, you can see on the chart, we've got this dated right here. Uh, he became king in 521. So how you date it, 521 is the first year, 520 is the second year. And you can talk about dating it, but it's right here. 520 is this year. We began in Ezra back here in 539, 538. They got bogged down and nothing happened. And so now things begin to pick up again in 520. And it seems to be picking up because of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah. But also notice at the same time, there's been a change. There's been chaos in the Persian Empire. 
But now that Darius is on the throne, and again, do not separate the Persian Empire from God overseeing history. They went through a little bit of chaos right in here after Cambyses died. There's a pseudo-Smyrtus took over, a false king who faked because Cambyses' brother was dead and the guy faked that he was his brother. Caused a lot of commotion and confusion uh, in the White House. No, 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 not the White House. (laughs) But as soon as they got things stabilized again, Darius starts setting up. And it's right there at that point when Darius begins to rule and reign and begins to restructure the government, the empire that God had given to Cyrus... Uh, that's when Haggai, the prophet, speaks as, okay, now it's time. God let them drag their feet during this time, but now it's time to get things done. So God is doing his part controlling history. Now it's their part to get started. Um, You you can see other places. uh, Darius is mentioned in Scripture. Ezra, chapter 4, Nehemiah 12, Zechariah. He's coming up in Zechariah. So this is the Darius. This is not the Darius of Daniel that was with Cyrus. This is another Darius. And there's another Darius coming here, Darius the third. And Alexander's going to meet Darius the third uh, there. Then uh, that's another story. But so there's several Dariuses or Dariuses. It says the first day of the sixth month. The sixth month was at the end of summer. Uh, the modern date is August 29th. And now, this is not like secret information. If you look in your footnotes of your study Bibles, everybody says the same thing. Uh, it's August 29th, 520. Interesting here, if you want to draw anything out of this, the first day of every month was a time of special sacrifice. They had the daily sacrifices. You had your festivals. But the first day of every month was a time of special sacrifices, special celebration, a time of kind of rejoicing. Every kind of, it's like, you know, it's like a Friday night, except it's the first day of the month, and you'd come together. So this was supposed to be a time where they'd be bringing special sacrifices into the temple that should have been built 16 years ago, but there's nothing there. It was a time for them to come and be thankful, to rejoice, have fellowship with God and with each other. Uh, But there's nothing going on. So it's interesting that it's the first day of the month. It may be something like that. Something different should be happening here, but instead of celebrating, they're going to get chewed out. It identifies this as the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came. It is revelation. This is not a political document. This is not something that uh, Haggai has thought about, and he's got a little podcast, and he's interviewed some people, and I've come to this conclusion. It's not a conspiracy theory. It is revelation coming not from men. It's coming to Haggai. Haggai is a prophet. There's Zerubbabel, the governor. There's Joshua, the priest. And there's Haggai, the prophet. The Zerubbabel, the governor, he's supposed to be kind of mixing it up with Cambyses or Darius and the political leader making, you know, treaties or agreements or arranging shipping of the logs, things he's doing. Joshua is the overseeing the law, the word of God that should be instructed and guiding the people. But then there's this other getting direct revelation from God himself, and that's Haggai. And that's where we're at right here. Uh, This is God communicating directly. This message is from God, not from men. Sounds like Galatians chapter 1, but it's the same idea. Page 2 of the notes. It then identifies the prophet who received the message as Haggai. Uh, He receives and communicates God's word. Again, this is not Haggai's words. It's Haggai communicating what the Lord showed him, told him. Uh, And then point D, and this is kind of important because it it just, and again, something like this slips by me. Uh, it's, it, it begins uh, in the second year of King Darius. On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Okay, okay, yada, yada. We know all this. Sounds good. We got the date. We got the prophet. And then it just says to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, just some more names and fathers and, you know, positions. But notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say to the people, to the tribes of Israel. Uh, he, he goes right here. He goes right at Haggai, the prophet, is receiving a word from Yahweh for the leaders. And the one leader is Zerubbabel. The second leader is Joshua. Zerubbabel, you're the governor. Joshua, you're the priest. They both got a lineage. We'll look at it. You know it. Zerubbabel's lineage goes back to David. Joshua's lineage goes back to Aaron. That's both documented in genealogies and scripture. So he's talking to the house of David. He's talking to the house of Aaron. And he's not talking to the people. It's like he goes right to the leadership. And they have been, interestingly, they've been in charge since 
539, 538. When they quit building, when they got discouraged, the opposition was too great. These guys accepted it. And so we're gonna, he's going to address the people, but he's going to go to the leaders who have allowed the people to get this false idea. I mean, if it's one thing, uh, it, you know, we go back to like, grab an example uh, from my life. You've got a classroom of children. They're unruly children. Uh, well, it's just a b- bad class. Well, you, you don't go in there and then get rid of the class. You go in there and fix the teacher. You know, a basketball team in, in college, they, 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 they don't perform as well as they should. Uh, who gets fired? The players? Uh, they'll do some recruiting and stuff, but the coach gets fired. I mean, even God is looking at the, the people are messed up. They've got some bad ideologies. We're going to read their slogan. Their slogan is, the time has not yet come. That's their slogan. It's in all their churches. The time has not yet come. You know, whatever their slogan, that's their church. Time has not yet come. Relax. We're waiting on God. We're just a church that waits on God. We're waiting on God. The time has not yet come. And God comes and says, what's this stupid banner? It's like, what is this? And Zerubbabel and Josh says, well, we help pay for the printing. It's like, that's, that's, that's our slogan. It's like, yeah, no, it's not. No, there's something wrong with your slogan. And so he's going right now again. We're not saying these are bad. These are not bad people. Uh, we're not saying that God is rejecting them because in Zechariah, both Joshua and, and Zechariah, or Zerubbabel, are drawn special attention. They're even prophetic figures of the uniting of the Davidic line and the priesthood through the Messiah. And that's coming up in Zechariah. So the, he's addressing these guys because he's expecting more from them. And so uh, I write these things. Uh, point D, important. It pinpoints who the message was for. This book is written to, and don't take your eye off this, when, as you read this, Again, he's going to be talking about the people, and the people are in air, but the book is to the leadership. Get your team on the right page. It's, it's not written to the people. It's written to the leadership, which kind of explains, if you look in that box right there on page 2, verse 1, uh, you can see it's August 29th, 520, and the work began on the temple in chapter 1, verse 15, which is September 21st, 520. So we're talking, uh, you can see the day, it's the day one of the sixth month and the work began day 24 of the sixth month so we're talking about a 23 24 day turnaround well a three-week turnaround and that's not when the people decided they voted and decided we should get started it's when they started so they they took a vote apparently Zerubbabel and Joshua got together after hearing Zach or Haggai speak to them the word of the Lord they start taking action it would assume almost immediately and by within three weeks, they're ready. To, the, the construction permits are there. The construction crew is there. The materials are coming. They couldn't get the materials. Can't get the materials. Well, in three weeks, there they are. We can't get. Can't. We were bound up in court, legal system. Got too many lawsuits. Well, in three weeks, boom. There's all your building permits. It's like they turned this thing around in three weeks. And so, uh, you can see that when speaking to these leaders, if you're going to go out and talk to the peepee, people it maybe is going to be a little slower. You talk to these leaders, chew them out, they just say, okay, we got to do something, and they make the change. So again, these are good people, but they've drifted. We all are, in a sense, good people, but we all, at the same time, we drift. I mean, I, I, as I read this, I think about my life in, in, in different areas, if it's as a, as a father, as a teacher, as a Bible teacher, as a citizen, as just the guy that's trying to keep my budget, you know, my bills paid. It's like, this negligence can set in and you can come up with these excuses well let's look at the excuse here in a minute uh, the initial message was not for the people but for the leaders the people of judah are not the recipients of the original message the leaders are addressed since the leadership had to lead the people to develop ha- had allowed the people to develop poor priorities they've allowed the people uh, misapplication of theology and negligence towards the purpose and god's plan now again you can be critical of churches you can be critical of churches and their influence on the nation, which I've been critical of churches and their influence on the nation in a positive way, been critical of churches. But at the top of every church, there's a pastor who took that position of leadership and you're trying to what? You know, come up with a slogan and accommodate the culture? Or are you going to just come out and say, it, it is time to do the right thing? Well, no, people don't want to hear that. Do you think Zechariah and Josh, or Zerubbabel and Joshua are coming at the people with a message that they want to hear? They're going to have some conflict. 
and they've got to be ready to take the conflict. And tell the people, you've got poor priorities. Tell the people, you, you've got theology. We're waiting on the Lord, per se. But it's a misapplication of your theology and negligence towards God. Uh, and here we go. I've got that box written right there, which is going to be useful. It's no different than what you can find in your study notes. But chapter 1, verse 1, August 29th, 520. Chapter 1, verse 15, September 21st, 520. Just 23, 24 days later. The second message is going to begin in chapter 1, verse 15, which we'll get to in about six months. Uh, that begins on October 17th, 520. So notice that's September, October, and that's a message to Zerubbabel. It's going to be a message directly to Zerubbabel. Uh, chapter 2, verse 10 is Haggai's message to the priest, which you'd assume that's going to go to the high priest first. And uh, Haggai's message to Zerubbabel, at the very, I spelled Zerubbabel wrong right there. Uh, and that's where it's, he says in chapter 2, verse 20, that God tells Zerubbabel, I'm, I've shaken the earth once, I'm going to come and shake it again. It's kind of like we got our verse in, in, on Sunday. We're talking about, uh, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, God shaking the earth. It comes from, it's a paraphrase of this verse right there. Okay. Uh, you can see there on bottom page 2, Zerubbabel's name means seed of Babylon, uh, which probably indicates, and we'd all agree, he was born in Babylon in captivity. His father's name is Sh- uh, Sheetil, which means I have asked God, and it is a northwest Semitic name, which gives the impression his father, Shatil, was born before the captivity and, and, and has a an Hebrew name. Uh, and we notice this right here. Shatil uh, was the older son of Jehoiachin, the 19-year-old king that was taken captive and spent his life in Babylon in, cha- in chapter 3 of First Chronicles. But in chapter 3 of 1 Chronicles, Zerubbabel's father was Padiah, a younger son of Jehoiakim. And so you've got Zerubbabel, who is definitely the grandson of Jehoiachin. And you've got Jehoaz, Jehoiakim, then his son Jehoiachin, who goes into captivity with Ezekiel in 597. Then after him, Zedekiah, who's king for the last 10 years, persecutes jeremiah and ends up watching all of his sons get killed and gets his eyes gouged out and he goes to babylonian captivity to fulfill jeremiah's prophecy uh you will go to babylon but you will not see it because he got his eyes gouged out jehoiakim has an older son named shatil and has a younger son named uh how do you say it here uh pedaiah uh and both are given uh, credit for being the father in, in First Chronicles of Zerubbabel. But he is the descendant of Jehoiachin. Again, you can see, as we've talked about before, uh, the, it is possible that Shatil was Zerubbabel's uncle. So this would be his uncle. This would be he had the one who uh, this would be the one who fathered him. But Shatil would have died, leaving a widow, who then would have married the younger son, Padiah, so that he could produce a son for the widow that would be the heir of Shatil, which makes Zerubbabel the one on the throne. The oldest son would be the one on the throne. But he is fathered by, this would be his natural father, this would be his legal father. So his legal father would be his uncle. And that, you know, we've talked about that before. And that's a guess. That's speculation. Otherwise, you've got a conflict of Scripture, but it, at the same time, it matches. Either way, he is in line of, of the king. That's what that says there at the bottom of page 2. Okay, now on to, oh yeah, look at uh, point 3 at the top. The phrase governor of Judah is pahat, uh, and it, a word that means lord of a district, and that's what Judah is. Again, remember, Judah is a district, it's a province of the Persian Empire. And these people were sent back into the province of Judah under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and it, again, just like in 1948, Israel went in with British, uh, the British mandate with uh, U- the United Nations, and they had land carved out for them, caused all kinds of conflict. The same thing would have taken place here. They, there's already people living in Judah, living in Jerusalem, 
the people under, or just like the Jews went back in, in 1948 with the United Nations blessing, these people come out of Babylon captivity with the blessing of Cyrus, and they're in that province of Judah, and their new governor is Zerubbabel, and they've had all kinds of problems with it. But it means Lord of the district. Okay, the first message on page three, here we go. The first message uh, from the Lord is a disputation speech. That's Haggai chapter 1. Verses 2 through 11 that we read. It's a dis, it's, God is having a dispute with the people. And it's like, it's all about his house, his, the bet. And uh, the people, and this is, what, this is what's nice about a prophet, is sometimes the people don't know. They're, they're, they're in darkness. They're, they're, they're doing what they know. They're doing what they understand. They're doing what the culture's doing. Then a, a prophet comes out and with a direct word from God, and says and reveals something to them that they're not going to see on their own. And that's what's taking place here, the, the first message. Um, and it goes in three steps. Uh, the Lord first quotes a slogan popular among the people that summarizes the community's false views that resulted in their contemporary failure to correctly apply biblical theology and God's plan. They know theology. They came back from captivity to, to engage in this rebuilding of the temple. They've got government support and government funding for the building of the temple. But when they get there, they find problems. They tweak their theology. They don't abandon God. They just tweak it so it all makes sense. And then that now you ask the question, how many times have you or are you, I'm talking to myself, taken what I know about the Word of God and then tweaked it. I know, I know I have. I would correct it if I knew I was wrong. But I've tweaked it so that my life makes sense with my world, with my, my sometimes maybe with my sin nature. I, I take what I know, tweak it a little bit, and ah, everything is harmonized. But it's like, guys, no, it's not. Get back here and look at it again. And now you've got to renew your mind, Romans chapter 12. And so they've got a slogan. Chapter 1, verse 2 is the Lord is systematically and logically going to reject this contemporary slogan. They've got a very subjective slogan. It makes sense to everybody in the community. They look at the evidence. They talk to the leaders. And the leader's like, yes, that's where we're at. Zerubbabel accepts it. Joshua the priest accepts it. It appears maybe even Haggai the prophet. That's the way life is. Until God shakes him up one time and says, he says, oh, I got to tell you something God sold me. He says, he's not accepting this. Uh, the time is not now. So God systematically and logically is going to reject the slogan. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, the Lord is going to challenge the conclusion of this slogan uh, that has led the people to, uh, that the, the slogan, the conclusion, God is going to reject the conclusion that the slogan has led the people to accept. And basically it's this. We don't have time. There's too much opposition to build the bet of the Lord. But, you know, we've got all this time. We've got some resources. We're an up-and-coming nation. Things are developing. Uh, we've got some extra money. Well, let's go ahead and build our house, our bet. So you've got this time. You've got this money. You've got this resources. Uh, you can work the system. We're just going to go ahead and build this. And so they're finding success at home. What about this? Uh, yeah, too much opposition. It's, I guess we're waiting on God. So they've, they've got time to do this. And what God is going to now, as you see, uh, the next part, chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, the Lord is going to say now, let's go ahead and look at what you've, you've had time and you've had money. How does it look right now? And the idea here is they are not, they're spending their time, they're spending their money, but it's just running out the bottom. Inflation is hitting. There's going to be conflicts. Uh, all kinds of problems, and they're not getting what they thought they're going to get. They spent this money, they spent this time on their houses, but yet they need more. Uh, whatever the economic situation is, it's bad. There's drought, there's famine is setting in, and God says the reason this is happening is I'm doing this because you took the time I gave you, the money I gave you, you came up with a false slogan to justify your situation, and instead of correcting your slogan to fit my theology... You twisted my theology to justify your slogan, and now you spent it all down here, and I'm blowing this all away. And I'm going to continue to blow it away until you get my house done. Now, apparently, 
this speech, you say, well, I don't know if this is right. I don't know if that's how you motivate people. I don't know if, you know, how do you know God was doing it? Maybe they're just drawing conclusions, trying to, it's like, well, I can tell you that in a matter of 23 days, they walked away from this and started working on this. I mean, not just the high priest and the governor, the entire population goes over here. And it's going to continue. So here we go. Here's what happens. Chapter 1, verse 2, looking on page 3. I've got several things circled in the, the, the Hebrew box there. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Um, the first thing, uh, I got a little arrow there. Well, let's go right in order, number 1. Yahweh of hosts. This is interesting. You can see there, you've got to read it backwards. But you can see Yahweh of hosts in the, the, the translation. Uh, that is short for Yahweh, God of the host. The host is the word Saba, which means armies. And in the use of that word in the Bible, armies, if it's armies of men assembling for battle, it can be the Saba, the, the hosts of the, the military. Or it can mean the consul, the heavenly consul. The Lord of the heavenly consul, which would be the angels, the one that the Lord of, again, in the book of Daniel, in our understanding of rulers and authorities in heavenly places, God has established angelic rulership, leadership. He's got angelic consuls he meets with, and they're overseeing the universe. They're overseeing things. They're coming and going. The book of Daniel, the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, Michael, Gabriel, and all of these world events, especially if you read Daniel, are overseen by angelic activity or the heavenly council or the hosts. Uh, they can be called armies, but the host. Uh, God is identified here as Yahweh of the heavenly councils. He's the one who sits enthroned above the heavenly councils. He's the one who tells them to go. They go, they do these things, they execute the Lord's order. So this right here at the beginning, thus says the Lord of hosts, which is a nice translation right there. It's short for Yahweh, L-O-R-D in capital letters is Yahweh, and it's short for God of hosts. Yahweh, who is the God of hosts. He's, he's the God over all the other gods. All the other little G gods, he's the God over all of them. Um. The NIV, if you look at, if you have an NIV, it, 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 it does a nice job. It translates it, capital L, capital O-R-D, Yahweh, and just says Almighty. Because that's the concept. He's the Yahweh, the God over all the heavenly councils who's controlling all of history for him, and you're underneath that living in history. He is the God above those who's controlling all the nations, the rulers, and the, the powers. He's above that. So again, he would be Lord Almighty, but... It, it captures the, the, the meaning, but kind of misses the details of what is said in the Hebrew. He is the Lord, the God of all of the angelic hosts. Okay. Thus says Yahweh of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So we've looked at hosts. Uh, the next thing, it says these people in... Uh, the English Standard and in the NIV, it says these people, which is fine. And I, I'm just telling you things I've read in commentary. So there's nothing that we're, we're attacking here. But in the Hebrew, it's not these people, it's this people. It's singular, this people, this group, this group right here. Not these, plural, this group. And again, it should be said, instead of this people, it should be said my people. But it's very cold, it's, it's very distant, it's this people. I bring, I bring them out of captivity, Cyrus follows my decree, I bring them back, I give them directions, provide them with government documentation, provide them with the priesthood, provide them with the lineage of David, there's the finances, there's the territory, you're back, let's get started. And now this people, they came up with a slogan. It got too hard for them and they came up with a slogan. This is not my people, because my people would have this thing built. No matter, listen, he's the Lord of the heavenly hosts. And you're having trouble with someone who is under the worldly leaders who are under the angelic hosts. So you've got 
Cyrus, Cambyses, and Darius in the scheme of things that are under the heavenly hosts that are controlled by Yahweh. And under Cyrus and Cambyses and Darius, there's a bunch of, you know, bureaucrats that are causing you trouble or they're being bribed or something. And you can't do it because the bureaucrats who are under the worldly leaders, who are under the heavenly councils, who's under Yahweh, are causing you trouble. Well, this is what the top of the stack says, who's over the heavenly councils, who's controlling Darius, says about your problem with some bureaucrat somewhere in Phoenicia that won't give you any timber. Build my stinking house. Well, but we can't. There's a bureaucrat causing us trouble. Well, I mean, I mean, you understand the ridiculous. There's nothing that is going to stop you except they themselves. So that's the point about this people. The word say, you can see I've got the little arrow by the word say. It is a mirror. And uh, it says these people are saying means this is what they claim. This is what they think. This is not, they're not saying this is what these people know. This is what these people found out. This is what these people understand. This is what they're saying. They're in this situation, and this is what they are subjectively saying. This is what they say. In their situation, they look around, they analyze their situation, and this is what's going on. It's like, now, it, it, it's not true. It's not right. It's not perceptive. It's just, this is what they're saying. And the ideal is this people. It's not like over here we've got this uh, tangent of this radical political group it's the whole community of this people, not my people, this people, have a subjective view of the world, and they're saying this thing. And this thing is no more true than make another bumper sticker somewhere. They're saying. But these people say is not necessarily the truth. Point C, the statement by these people is only their subjective viewpoint, and it is wrong. This slogan by the people has allowed them to justify. Because they are saying this, and everybody's saying it, now we can do this. It's like saying, well, these people say this is legal. Well, they say it's legal, so now we can start behaving like this. Well, this is not really morally right. So these actions are still morally wrong, but yet they're all saying the same. You can just see the pattern here. So God is saying, this is what this people says. And he's about, now he's bringing this to court right here. This is what he's attacking is this slogan. Um, the slogan focuses on the phrase or the word time. I mentioned this before. It is E-T, et, et, time. And in, again, I, I do not want to screw around with Bible translations. But I do want you to go back and look at, well, go back and look on the next, the page back there, page 3. And look at the, the verse written out there, chapter 1, verse 2. Again, I got this out of a commentary, okay? I was reading, they're, they're trying to explain this. And this is one conclusion, and it's, at least it's interesting. Chapter 1, verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, and here it is, it's a quote, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now you see how many times the word time appears there, once. In the NIV, this is what the Lord Almighty says, these people say, quote, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. It makes the slogan, the slogan is, the time is not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the gist of the whole chapter, this whole dispute. But when you look in the Hebrew text and read it backwards, and I mean read the Hebrew, read it correctly, but read it, you know, like Hebrew. Thus speaks Yahweh of hosts, saying, this people says, not the time, you see right there, the time, there's your word et, E-T, not the time has come. And then the next line begins, the time, it says it again, et, the time, the house of Yahweh to rebuild. And so you've got right there the word time in there twice, it's not translated, and there's a variety of ways of explaining it, but some have explained it this way, the people are saying this. The time has not yet come. It reduces it this way. 
the time, and this makes complete sense, the time has not come. And that's the slogan. The time has not come. Focus on et. The time has not yet come. It's like uh, no more war. Okay, let's do this. No more war. Now, if you're a Republican and the Democrats are in office, no more war. But then, okay, what did I say? The re- what did I say? The Republicans are in the, the Republicans are in off- office. Okay, the Republicans are in office. The Democrats say no more war. Now the Democrats get in office, and it's like we need more war. But I thought you said no more war. Oh, no, 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 no more war. And we're talking about this war, this war. But we're going to need these. These are yeses. It's like so. No more war means what? Well, we'll decide. The time has not yet come is what they're saying. The time has not yet come. And then the Lord goes on and says, the time, the house of Yahweh to rebuild. In other words, this is possibly their slogan, the time has not yet come. But it's like, what do you mean? It's subjective. The time has not yet come, right, to build my house. The time has not yet come, the time not to build my house has come. Because look where this goes next. I'll go back to the NIV. He goes on and says, verse 3, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. What does he mean? Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panel houses while this house remains a ruin? So you're saying the time has not yet come, but the time has not yet come. We're only talking about the house of the Lord. Meanwhile, when we're in office, let's build our houses. And again, it's an easy mistake. They're opposed here. It's easier to transfer the time and the money over here and do this and build their own houses. And we've got extra time, extra money. They're paneling their houses. They're not just finding a residence. They're decorating and paneling. That decorating is supposed to be going on in the temple, but there's opposition here. So the time is not yet come. The Lord will lead us. But hey, what are you going to do today? Well, you know, I think about building my house. And they built their own houses. And God says, your slogan, the time is not yet come, that only applies to my house because, just like this, We won't build this house, we won't build this house, but hey, now that we've got some time and some money, why don't we build these houses? And so that is maybe what is being said there with that extra time in there. And that is what I'm writing there on those next pages, those next boats. Uh, Point four, house, bet. And you see, it's going back and forth. The The bet of the Lord, your bet. And you don't have time to build my house, but yet you've got time to build your house. So your slogan like right here, no more war. That's a subjective statement. What do you mean, no more war? I mean, no more, and then this particular war. Do you mean no more conflict? You mean no more arguments? You mean, no, when I want to go to war, I'm going to war. I don't want that war. So you don't mean no more war. You mean no more of this particular war. It's a very subjective statement. If you, if you say no more war, you sound like you mean no more war no more conflict, no more arguing, no more nothing. But that's not at all whatever takes place. That's impossible. And same thing here. The time has not yet come. For what? We can't do it. We're just sitting here, sitting here on rocks. We're just like getting enough food to get through the next day. We're just waiting. It's like, if the time has not yet come, then you should just be sitting here destitute, living in caves, waiting. But you're not. You're living in paneled houses. So apparently... The time has not yet come, kind of like no more war, is just when it applies to what you want it to mean. And again, he's chewing them out for being very subjective. Now the question that I, you know, as I'm reading, it's like, I've got slogans. I've got, I've got theological statements I stick by. But it's like, do I, are they objective? Are they like God's revelation? Or have I taken them, found the word of God, and made it very subjective? And it's like, well, I, what I mean is, when I'm in this situation, but if the tables turn, I don't expect, I'll treat you this way, but uh, you shouldn't treat me that way. And you see a lot like, uh, oh, I, I could go down a list of things, but, uh, you know, uh, you should treat people in love. You're a Christian, said by a Christian. But then as soon as that Christian is upset, well, this is different because they, and, and they or for me. You know, it's like, I, I think you should, treat me in, you should treat me with love because we're all Christians here. But the minute 
I don't want to treat you love or whatever. I mean, you could, you, there's a thousand lists right here. And that's kind of one of the applications you can see right here. Okay, number five, time, at the use is not if the temple should be built, but when. And that is in it very important. No one, no one in this book is questioning if, should we build the temple or not. They would all say, the poll would be 95% say, yes, we should build the temple. But it's like, when? When should we build the temple? Well, not yet. And that would be your poll. How many people, 95% coming in saying, yes, we should build the temple. When should we build a temple? Well, 95% of our, our polies, they said, uh, 95% say, not yet. We're, we're waiting on God. And that's, that's what's taking place right here. The issue is uh, timing. Uh, it, is not, it is not time. Excuse me. They could say this. If the slogan tells them it is not time, then if you are of that 5% that says, yes, we should, or down here, we should do it now. If you are Haggai, or maybe you're Zerubbabel or Joshua with a lot of public pressure, maybe Joshua and Zerubbabel know it's time to build. We, we, we got decrees not just from Cyrus. We've got a command from the Lord to build this temple. I mean, we're standing here in Jerusalem, walking past the temple every day, and we're not doing a thing about it. And they may be the 5%, possibly, I'm, I'm making this hypothetical, Joshua and Zerubbabel, the leaders may know, we should be doing this. But 95% say not yet. And their excuse may be, well, if it's not time and we push it, then you're going to be in this situation, 5C. You may be presumptuous, meaning you're saying it's God's time, but you're pushing things and it's not. Should we push? Should we not push? Maybe Zerubbabel and Joshua, they talk together, they get coffee. It's like, we should push this issue. I don't know. We may be presumptuous. It may not be the time. Or they're heretical. It's like you've twisted the theology. Or they're disobedient. If God wants us to wait, why, why are we going to go out there and make it happen? And so they're maybe hesitant. And all they need is Haggai, the prophet, to come and say, well, the Lord is asking me a question. He's saying something about, you've got this stupid slogan. It's not time. He says, but yet you don't have time to build his house, but look at your house. And they're, they're not argu- there's no arguing with him. Like Jeremiah arguing. There are people arguing. Isaiah always someone arguing with him. No one's, look at, do you, look, we went through Jeremiah. We've gone through Ezekiel. We've gone through Isaiah. Have you ever seen a prophet show up and address the people with the word of God and 23 day, days later they're going, got it done. When was the last time you saw that, Isaiah? 40 years, 40 years. And at the end, they they still call him a liar. After everything he said came to pass, they drag him down to Egypt as he said, this is not what we should do. And they drag him to Egypt. Isaiah, they sought him in half. After an entire lifetime of ministry, one of the greatest books of the Bible, uh, one of the longest books of the Bible, one of the longest ministries, sought him in half. It's like Haggai comes out, he's got one, two, two chapters done in three and a half months. His whole whole prophet, prophet, recorded prophecies, three and a half months, and the thing's done. I mean, they're, they're up and running. They're, they're done by the end. Of their, it's amazing. So you got to think that they were doing this, something like this where they got this slogan, but they're wondering, and all they needed was two leaders to get pushed over the edge, and they mentioned it to the people. They're going, yeah, you know, I was one of the same thing. And all of a sudden, in, in a matter of, you know, a weekend, a matter of a weekend, depending on what day August 29th is, the polling goes from 95% against to 95% for because everyone knew when they heard it. So, it, again, it, it's a great time. Uh, and I, that's what I go on to say there. And uh, that's chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time is not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, a second message. I mean, they let them think about it. You're saying it's not time, but you're only applying it to the Lord's house. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Yes, is it time for you yourselves to be living 
in your paneled houses? Now, if your slogan is, it is not yet time, then why did you find time to build your house? What's the difference between your house and the Lord's house? While this house remains ruined. Again, again, the word house in every one of those cases is bet. He's not saying your house and the Lord's temple, your house and the Lord's house. And he says, while this house, my house, remains a ruin. You've got paneling, but my house, it's, it's still, it's laying, it still looks like, it looks like 586 B.C. There's still charred bricks laying around, charred stones laying around. And that's where it leaves off. And then, again, we'll get into these next, that and then these next verses next week. Verse 5, and then it goes, Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says, the third part of this message. Give careful thoughts to your ways. You found time to build your house, but now if you look at your economy, you look at the inflation, look at all the expenses you're going to, it's really starting to turn futile. You're getting nowhere. You found time to build your house, and I'm blowing your house away because that's not what I brought you back. I did not bring you back here. Again, this is important. This is important for, we can say, eschatological reasons because these people, Israel needs to be back in the land. They need to be a nation because the Messiah needs to come. The Messiah needs to be born and do the work of the Messiah uh, in, in, at the right time. And the book of Zechariah is going to pick this up and run with it in even further. Uh, if these people fail, and again, they won't fail because God is going to make sure they succeed, but he's going to have to motivate them. These things have to get done. The city has to be rebuilt so that the rest of history, Alexander the Great can come, the Greeks can come, the Romans can come, and then here comes the Messiah. If these people do not have the temple up and built, that's going to set everything in off track here. Uh, I mean, Herod's going to come and re- remodel the temple. There's a whole variety of things to take place. So we are in, in a sense, uh, as you know, pro- progressing through uh, the, the progress of salvation, or the, the plan for salvation, and they've got to get this up and running. And so God is intervening. Uh, for them to get this done and again it's going to be exciting when we go to Zechariah and see the connections he makes with the future based on what takes place in 520 uh, because Zechariah you see Zechariah chapter 1 Zechariah 1 it's 519 Zechariah 7 518 so you got about a three-year period where the people are being just really pushed with two of the great prophets and the people respond and get this thing up and running, which sets the stage for uh, when Jesus comes and the rest of history. Again, it was never, in a sense, out of control, you know, but it just wasn't getting done, and so the prophet came, and who knows what would have happened if they didn't respond. I'll pray, and we'll be picking this up again next week. Father, do thank you for the chance to look into your word. We thank you for the insight, the encouragement your spirit can provide for us. We ask again that we would use these scriptures correctly, that we would not come up with slogans that match our life or our subjective views, but we would allow the word to transform our lives. And we thank you for the, the direct words of Haggai, that we can see what was said to these people and apply it to our own lives and look to see when you're working in our lives that we may respond quickly and directly. Again, we thank you for this opportunity and ask again that we would be continuing to renew ourselves in the image of Jesus Christ through your word, through your spirit, and through fellowship with other believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.